I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Do you see truth as treasure? Do you? And do you, do you want God's riches? It's a really important question to ask first here because we won't look for what we don't want and we can't want what we're not aware of, right? And why are you in his word if you're not looking for buried treasure anyway? Because as Proverbs says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to search it out, a matter, to, I'm sorry, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. And if you've accepted Jesus, well, he has made us kings. That's your mandate. Sorry, guys, we're going treasure hunting. Looks like we're going treasure hunting, so let's dig in. Um, last week, we talked uh, about not just walking the talk, but talking the walk. And we took a, a close look at Romans 10, verses 11 and 13, where it said, uh, anyone, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, wonderful. So it's anyone who trusts, right? And everyone who calls. But I want you to notice something real interesting that we didn't get to cover. Bruce ran out of time, but it's something that Paul snuck in between last week's verses right here, 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Okay. Okay, very, very, very interesting. So, so now, putting that in context, look at how this whole thing reads. It says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord of anyone who puts their trust in him, right, is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him as their Lord. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, it's, it's funny because it kind of feels like Paul's really harping on this anyone and everyone thing, right? He can't say it enough, can't express it enough. And whenever anyone harps on anything in scripture, it kind of makes me nervous. I get a, little bit, get a little bit nervous because God doesn't waste words. Not one, no wasted real estate in the Bible. He doesn't mince words for that matter. So if I don't see the value of a redundant verse, right? If I'm reading and I see, and I just say, you already said that, Paul, if, and I just, I don't know why it's there. Uh-oh, X marks the spot. I need to dig in because there's a reason that it's in there. So let's look for whatever the Lord, through Paul, might be hiding right in plain sight. Okay, so now remember, I want you to remember uh, last Sunday that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, that's how we do it, right? You believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. But I want to show you something that's concealed in plain sight. Because in verse 11, Paul is actually quoting Isaiah, saying, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's Isaiah. That's Isaiah 28, 16. All right, and I want you to notice the word trusts. Right? Trust, that's what we do with our heart. And then in verse 13, he actually quotes Joel. Now, that's a book in the Old Testament, in case your neighbor doesn't know. I'm sure you do, being the Bible expert that you are, but in case they don't. Uh, that's, a, that's a book in the Old Testament where he says, 
everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, and I want you to notice the word calls, right? This is what we do with our mouth. Okay, believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, trust and call. Got it, with me? Sure, we've got all this. So why does he jam that no difference between Jew and Gentile verse right in the middle? Well, the point that Paul has been pounding in is that God offers salvation to the Jew and Gentile alike. And remember, again, for your neighbor, Gentile just means non-Jew. And he sees something really, really profound in weaving together the words of these two prophets. Because Isaiah said, anyone who trusts, right? And Joel said, everyone who calls. Well, Paul sees the Old Testament as being crystal clear. Anyone and everyone can trust in and call on the Lord. Great. Good job, Paul. I'm understanding how scripture works a little better. But here's the thing. Joel uses God's personal name, Yahweh. Ooh. Here's how Joel says it right here. Joel says, everyone who calls on the name Yahweh will be saved. And that's a name God doesn't share. If you don't believe me, check out, let's go back to Isaiah where it says, uh, 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 I, I am Yahweh. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another. He doesn't share it, so it's just the one. And so this leads us to Paul's boldest, albeit somewhat concealed statement about Christ yet. You see, because what he's done here by quoting Joel and replacing Yahweh with Jesus, he didn't make a mistake. <laughs> that wasn't on accident. Paul makes it crystal clear that it's not enough to just call on Jesus as a teacher or healer or prophet. We have to call on Jesus as God. Okay. I want to stop right there because this is not just a platitude I want in one ear and out the other. You might hear this a lot, right, in our walk. Call on Jesus as God. That's what we're talking about. Jesus as God. That's a huge deal. It's a big thing. And I want you to just ruminate on that as we, as we keep going here, okay? But we also need to stop and talk about what is this call on Jesus at God? What does it look like? How do we call on Jesus at God? Well, it's very common you know, to hear people call out Jesus' name sometimes. Sometimes when they, you might hear it when somebody hits their thumb with a hammer. That's not the call of Jesus we're talking about. <laughs> it's also common to hear desperate people calling out for help. It's funny how his name comes to mind real quick in those moments. But yeah, desperate people call out for help and then they use that name. And God certainly can use those, those foxhole moments when you're in the thick of it to speak to the hearts of those outside of his kingdom, but, but these calls are usually not, uh, those ones are not based on uh, faith or love for Christ. Mm -mm. Whenever you hear somebody say something like, you know, God and I have an agreement, you know, me and him, man, we go way back, we got it all worked out. You can bank on the fact that that's a one-sided deal, you know. They're quite likely calling on a God of convenience. Uh-oh. 
That's, that's another form of zeal without knowledge, which we covered a couple of weeks ago. No, no, when Paul, when Paul talks about calling on Christ, he doesn't mean a stranger who gets us out of a jam and then disappears. That's a genie, you know, that is not God. Remember, Paul was executed for his faith. So are a lot of other strong believers. No, 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 calling on Jesus as Lord can be very inconvenient in this world. In Paul's day, as a matter of fact, Jews calling him Lord meant he was God. And if you said that out loud, you're in big trouble with the religious system. But on the flip side of that, Gentiles calling him Lord meant the emperor wasn't God. And you're in big trouble with the world system. Pretty tricky. Calling on Jesus meant everyone and anyone was in big trouble, period. And that's, that's probably why I think Paul prefaced this, this with the reminder, uh, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You know, like we were saying last Sunday, you can't shame a true believer for trusting Jesus as Lord. You can't. You cannot. Remember, you can try. People have. You've probably experienced it. But you cannot do it, accomplish it. It won't happen. You cannot shame a true believer for trusting Jesus as Lord. Because nothing and no one can compare to the value of who and what we're trusting and believing. Amen. That's it. Even the shame of sin that we are all familiar with, even the shame of sin is removed in Jesus if he's your Lord in God. But I want you to notice something again here. Notice how it's worded, put to shame, okay? Put to shame. Now, this is, this is another simple, easy truth, but don't let it just fly in and fly out. Let it stick. It's impossible to be proven wrong if what you believe is true. Okay, I watch football sometimes, and sometimes the commentators say these things that like, you know, to win the game, they really gotta move the ball down the field. Profound, isn't it? <laughs> it's not. It's a simple, easy truth. But then the more that you, you know, you think about it and you let it sink, and you're like, right, no, they do. And then you see what that means. It kind of unpacks and blossoms in your heart, right? This is that. This is a simple truth. But I want you to hear it again. It's impossible to be proven wrong if what you believe is true. That's just logic. Right? It's just, it's an impossibility. If what you believe is true, then you can't be proven wrong. They're wrong. Well, guess what? God is truth. God is truth. Which is why we have to put our trust in him and his word and his truth, not ourselves. That's the tricky part, you know. Lean not on your own understanding. That's our inclination, that's our sin nature, that's our go-to, that's the default setting of humans. I got it, no you don't, stop doing that. And it's hard, it's hard to stop doing that. It's a process, bump, bump, bump. We've been talking about this for a while, right? This is a process to quiet that inclination and turn the right direction because it flies in the face of our instinct to do whatever it takes to save face whenever we fear being shamed by anyone. That is one of the most terrifying things that we face, right? And that sure muddies up whatever is true. And I sure wish that I got that 
through my thick cocoon <laughs> when I was younger because, you know, <clears throat> I think I was born an expert <laughs> on worrying about what others thought. <laughs> yeah. And I still battle it to this day. Uh, as far back as I can, as far back as I can remember, I lived and died for the approval of others. But that was such an oh, because here was the problem: the, the tension of others, the tension of of approving, uh, of opposing approvals, drove me crazy. Because if I'm living and dying by everybody else, they don't agree. <laughs> I'm trying to satisfy everyone. And it drove me crazy. Do I go for the approval of the students, class clown, or the approval of teachers on a roll? <laughs> How about my Sunday school mom versus my Friday night friends? Those approvals were at odds a lot. I dreaded the opinions and the shame of anyone and everyone on whatever side it was that I chose to let down. But let down I did. Because no matter which side I chose, I was letting someone down, not winning their approval. And I was myself in big trouble. Oh, that feels awful. I lived in that awful feeling for a very, very long time. And I didn't even know what it was. I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't know what anxiety was. But I let that anxiety grow, and that anxiety kept growing, and it peaked in my 20s with a trip to the emergency room, fully believing that I was having a full-on heart attack. Thank heavens. Seriously. Seriously, thank heavens. That's how things went. Because it actually helped. Because death, fear of death, mortality, all that is definitely a tool that God uses to just get our attention. He'll do whatever it takes, but he'll use anything, including death, flirting with death, to get your attention. He got mine, worked out real good. God set me up. He sets us all up, you're all set up. We've all been set up, and it's to force us to accept a really, really hard truth, and it's, it's this truth right here. Approval down here, can be dangerous, if not deadly. Careful. Like we read last Sunday in John, many, even among the leaders, uh, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Whoops. Got it backwards, but I, I have a feeling you know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. But here's something, we gotta get into that cocoon of ours in the end. Human praise means nothing. I mean, unless, unless they're praising what God's praising, right? But finally learning that, getting that understood in here, not just up here, all the way down in the heart where it's supposed to be, Finally learning that really does ease the pain down here, and it radically reduces the number of trips to the ER. I promise. It is so good, that calming piece of, that comes with truth. And I love how C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, you guys know this, love him to death. Uh, I love how he puts it, he puts it, sums up this idea really succinctly, saying, you know, uh, hey, aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. That's about the truth. 
for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Jews were fearing the shame of the religious system. The Gentiles were fearing the world or the shame of the world system. And Paul is giving us a sense of the gravity of the trusting and believing and calling and saving that we've been talking about here for the last few weeks. Whoever you were before doesn't matter when you're partnering with God himself. You get that? Whoever you were before, it just, it doesn't matter. This supersedes that. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Okay, now what about, what about those riches? <laughs> what about those riches? What exactly are they? Well, some would, would respond with two words, health and wealth. Well, not so fast, some. That's <laughs> for me. Uh, God, God, God does bless us. I mean, don't mishear me. God does bless us materially, and he does answer prayer. But the substance and nature of his blessing cannot, absolutely not be simplistically reduced to any one factor. That's not how it works. He has given us, every single one of us, anyone and everyone, a conscience, a spirit, a brain, and his word. All right, that's your toolkit. And that is more than enough to rightly gauge and examine our trust in him, where we're at, and the richness of the blessings that we are receiving, which are a lot. Okay, but without, without Jesus firmly planted as our Lord and God's word as our truth, well, we're going to continue to do what we were doing before. We'll continue to judge riches according to the world system and human praise. That's a thumbs down. <laughs> I don't know how to make it any clearer than that. This is what I'm saying. These are, not, these are not big concepts, but they're important concepts. They point to the most unimaginable, succinct, simple, life-changing, altering truths. Don't let them go in and out. Let them stick and see what they mean. Don't judge your riches according to this place. It doesn't work. That's why Job's misguided friends felt so compelled to convince Job that something must be wrong with his faith, you know? Because this is Job. This is a guy. Everything's going wrong for him, right? It is nothing but misery upon misery. And they're like, well, health and wealth ain't going so good. It's something you did. God's upset with you. That's the only way that they could explain the decline of his health and wealth. It, it's got to be. But it wasn't, because Job trusted in God, which is why it's so satisfying at the end of the story when God says, well, I'm going to kill you three for the way that you guys spoke to Job, unless Job himself prays for you. Mm. I probably shouldn't, I shouldn't take so much joy in that, but I'm like, yeah, give it to him. Give it to him. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Because I cast myself as Job in that, and I'm not. I wish I was that, my faith was that strong, but No. Okay, so then what? What exactly are the richly uh, blessings? The rich, the blessed, I'm gonna rewind that. What exactly are we richly blessed with? That's what I wanna know. Well, what, what did Paul say we get? Okay, let's, let's review here. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, okay? 
It, it is uh, with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Saved, okay? Um, and then also, yeah, yeah, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You get that? You know, that's a thing that you get. You get saved. But saved from what? I'll tell you what you're saved from. You are saved from the pain and the shame and the guilt and the sadness of sin. You are saved from meaninglessness. You are saved from loneliness. And you are saved from emptiness. And you are saved from wrath and condemnation, and you are saved from damnation. You get that. You get all that. And that's what we're saved from, but what are we saved for? How about? Well, I'll tell you what we're saved for. We're saved for purpose. We are saved for an intimacy with God himself and fulfillment, that comfort and peace that comes with fulfillment. We are saved for love, we are saved for joy. We're saved for all the fruit of the Spirit. And we're saved for safety and security. And we are saved for confidence and contentment. We get all of that. Is that enough for you? Because that's unbelievable. Don't deserve it. Incredible. But the most treasured treasure of all is the person of Jesus himself. Check this out. It says right here, he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy. Known to. Well, if you call Jesus Lord, that's you. He did it for you so that you would know, so that you can get it, so you can have him. You get to know God, Yahweh, completely and personally. Simple, profound, best friend, God of the universe, creator of all things. Completely know him and personally know him. Anyone and everyone gets the, the riches of his full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. That's it, the person of Christ, that relationship that you have in whom, in Christ, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That sound good? You dig? You get the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ. Get it? That's amazing. You get to know it all, face to face. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. You're part of it. Those riches are for you. They go in you for others to see and experience and share. It's amazing. This is not some simple platitude that you just say and forget. This is huge. 
You get that, it's in you, you share it, save the world. How about that? God's ultimate riches, for those who trust and treasure him, like we're saying, are that of seeing him and knowing him and enjoying him forever. It doesn't get richer than that. God himself is the sum of our riches in Christ. That's how it works. And you know what? Hey, here's an incredibly unpopular truth. Sometimes it actually requires a decline of our health and wealth to help us fully appreciate how we've truly been blessed. Uh-oh. <laughs> True. True, though. Get that in there. Understand how it works. Because I'm going to ask you again. Do you see truth as treasure? Do you? Do you see it as something worth seeking? Do you delight in digging? Because we need to. Because we won't look for what we don't want. And we can't want what we're not aware of. And why are you in his word if you are not looking for that buried treasure? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Oh boy, do we love you. And we worship you. And we seek your approval and praise above all else. Holy Spirit, inspire us. Empower us. And help us to press into you completely and personally receive you. Lord Jesus, you are the sum of our riches. And we thank you and we praise you as our most treasured treasure. And to that, everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.